Good morning, church. Good to see you guys. I want to uh, start off this morning again just by acknowledging um, just crazy stuff that's going on in the world right now with um, Russia's invasion of Ukraine and, and what our response should be as a church. And so first and foremost, I, I want to encourage all of you, and I know many of you are, to be a praying people, um, to pray for miraculous safety for people there, um, to pray for, for peace to spread throughout the region, and to pray for protection and empowerment of our brothers and sisters in the Ukrainian church. Um, and some of you have asked, you've sent you know, messages to the church, emailed us, and, and said, um, what can we do? What are ways that we can take action? And I just want to let you know one of the, the big ways is our World Evangelism Fund through the Church of the Nazarene. Um, every year we, we highlight a Sunday and we talk about the Faith Promise offering, which goes to the World Evangelism Fund to really um, be able to help the global church um, places all around the world outside of the United States. And many of you give to Faith Promise above and beyond your tithe. Um, you give a monthly offering uh, to the Faith Promise. And so I, I just want to encourage you, if, if you haven't done that or if you'd like to do that, that's a great way that you can contribute. You can go to our website and you can click on giving and just click on the tab that says Faith Promise and you can make a donation. Uh, other practical things that, that you can be a part of, maybe even as a family, is to help prepare some crisis care kits. And so we have um, a, a letter that went out on the Friday email, if you're part of that, that gives instructions. We've also printed out copies of it right over on the table by the offering box out in the lobby. You can grab one of those. All you really need is a, a two or two and a half gallon Ziploc bag, and it gives you a list of items to be able to pick up. Um, you can make it a family activity and prepare some crisis care kits. We're going to have a donation box for crisis care kits available in the foyer, and um, starting later this week, um, you can drop those off, and those, as we collect those, will get sent out to be able to help in crisis situations like the refugees from the Ukraine who are pouring over the border into to surrounding countries. So those are just some practical ways um, that I just want to let you guys know that you can be a part and make a difference in the lives of, of people who are just really hurting in the world right now. Well, welcome. Today we're finishing up our series called I Want a New Marriage. And um, some of you saw that title online this month and noticed that um, that we were away for the last couple weeks and you were genuinely worried about Julie and my marriage. And I just want you to all know that's just the name of the series. Uh, the pastor's marriage is doing fine. We just went away on a, a family vacation with the kids having February break and, and it was a blast. Um, but a funny story, a couple years ago, um, I went away for two weeks on a trip to Israel with a group of pastors. It was an in incredible, incredible trip. And, and our hope is, um, within a few years that we are going to do uh, a church trip or offer a church trip to Israel. COVID kind of threw a wrench in our initial plans um, for that, but Aaron Lawton and I are, are working towards that um, to be able to do a team there. But I got to go on this incredible trip with a group of about 30 pastors to Israel, and Julie and I wound up getting in uh, a big argument the night before I left um, with the stress of packing and, you know, with, with me being away and her going to be with the kids for two weeks. It was just like a lot of stress. And we got into this argument the night before I, I, I left. Well, the next day, I'm on this flight to Tel Aviv and Julie is at work and, and she was working as an office manager at a private Christian school and she gets a call to the principal's office. And she gets there, and there's a box of tissues 
sitting on the table, and the principal asks her to sit down and just so tenderly starts to speak to her and say, Julie, I'm so sorry to hear about what's going on in your family with you and AJ. And, and I just want you to know that we're here for you. And truth be told, we didn't like him anyway, okay? We, we, we just believe that, that you can do much, much better than that. I'm, I'm so sorry that jerk left you. And, and Julie was like, say what? Like, what, where is this conversation going? And the principal pushes the box of tissues over and says, it's okay. You don't have to wear a mask anymore. You can be real. This is a community that wants to surround you and support you. We know everything. We know everything. And she said, could you unpack that for me a little bit? And the principal said, yes, your daughter, who's in second grade, this morning during prayer time, asked for prayer for the family. And she said that her parents got into this very big fight and her father has left the country. <laughs> but Julie and I are good, so thank you for the prayers, okay? But I, I, I'm so excited. I'm so excited that you guys are in church today as we wrap up this series on the topic of love and relationships. And, and whether you're here today and you're married or you're joining us and you're a single, the great news is we've been saying, you know, for a month now, is that the Bible has some incredible, incredible stuff to teach all of us on the topic of love and relationships. And one of the things that we've been talking about is, is that, you know, in marriage, it can sometimes be a fight. In love relationships, it can sometimes be a fight, but we have a choice to make. In our love relationships, here's our choice. We can choose to fight in a relationship, or we can choose to fight for a relationship. And if we want to see our, our marriage or our, our relationships just take off to the next level, we need to learn to live like Jesus and take the form of a servant. And we need to focus less on our rights and more on our personal responsibilities. So if you have your Bible or Bible app with you on your smartphone, go ahead and head to Genesis 25. That's where we're going to kind of hang out this morning. Genesis 25, as always, we'll also throw the verses up on the screens when we get there. But before we unpack this really, really fascinating story from Scripture, let, let's first prepare our minds and our hearts with a word of prayer. Can we do that this morning? Let's pray with heads bowed and eyes closed. Heavenly Father, God, we pray that you would just prepare us right now. You would clear our minds, prepare our hearts to receive what it is that you want to teach us today through your word, Father God. We want to be able to, to listen. We want to be able to hear. And Father, we don't, we don't want it to just go one in one ear and out the other, Lord God, but we want, to, we want to take the truth from your word today, from this incredible story today that we're going to look at. And God, we want to begin to be a people who apply that truth into our lives so that we can take some next steps in life, that we can move from the smaller story of us to the greater story, the greater things that you have planned for our lives and our future. Father God, I pray that you would honor this time that we're giving today, Lord God, that you would use it to change us for the good. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So let me ask you guys a question as we start off this morning. Um, how many of you guys like to eat? Show of hands. Like, I know we have to eat to survive, but you just enjoy eating. Yes, my people, a lot of you guys out there, me too, okay? In fact, um, we just got back again from this family vacation where we took a family cruise with the kids. And my favorite thing about going on a cruise, I have to admit, is dinner. Like they have professional chefs, 
They cook the most amazing meals. You don't have to do dishes afterwards. And on a cruise ship, it is all you can eat, baby, okay? You can get three appetizers, two entrees, and five desserts if you want. Um, I tried to, to be good on the boat. I, I skipped lunch a lot of days to just prepare for dinner. And um, one of the things I did was I walked a lot on the boat. I even went to the gym almost every day while I was on the boat so I wouldn't feel as guilty enjoying myself at dinner. But here's the fascinating thing. After eating a really big meal on the boat, I would start to feel tired. Have you ever eaten a big meal and you start to, you start to get a little groggy, you know, like Thanksgiving with the tryptophan or whatever it is after the turkey? And so I would go back to our room and I'm on vacation. I would take a nap. I would take a nice little nap, okay? But craziest thing, a few hours later, I'd wake up and just the most fascinating thing occurred. I would wake up and I would begin to think to myself, I feel a little hungry. <laughs> Can you guys relate to that? Like just a few hours ago, I ate enough food to feed a small nation and now I'm roaming the boat looking for a snack. T today as we wrap up this series, we're going to talk about appetites. And, and I believe that this topic has the potential to change the very direction of your life. If you're married and you're here today, I believe this topic has the possibility to change your marriage. It could save your marriage. If you're single, it could save your future marriage. It could help you avoid some horrible, horrible pitfalls in relationships in life. See, here's the deal. All series long, we've been talking about this idea of fighting for our relationships instead of fighting in them. And we've talked about doing that by looking in a mirror, right? and by examining ourselves first and looking at our responsibilities instead of just demanding our rights in a relationship. And here's what I know about you. You have no idea how God might want to use your life to impact this world if you're willing to go all in with him. And as your pastor, I don't want you to miss that. I want to see you leave the smaller story of you for the bigger story of God. And I just wish that all of you guys could really see yourselves the way that God sees you. Because if you could, it would blow your mind and it would change everything. You have no idea what God could do through you if you would be willing to go all in with him. And most people miss it. And I don't want you to miss it. And nobody plans to miss it, but so many people do, and they're left at the end of their life with a lot of regret. So that's what we're going to unpack today. We're going to talk about appetites, and then we're going to look at a powerful, powerful illustration from Scripture of how they work, and then I'm going to end today with a challenge for all of us. So let's talk about appetites. See, unlike anything else in your life, your appetites have the potential to impact the quality and the direction of your life. Unlike anything else, your appetites have the potential to impact the quality and the direction of your life. Your appetites are either going to rule you or they're going to be ruled by you. Appetites are powerful, and appetites can create a lot of destruction. Some of you have already experienced this. Your parents, for example, are probably where they are in life in large part based on how well they manage their appetites. Some of you were unfortunately neglected or abandoned as kids because you had a parent who had an appetite for alcohol or drugs or for someone other than your mom or dad and they left you. 
And as a kid, maybe even now as an adult, you've struggled with that and you've wondered and you can't understand, you know, why couldn't they just choose me? How could a parent abandon a child? And as you look back, maybe you'll see or maybe you'll realize that they were chasing after something, that they were running after something that they had elevated, some appetite in their life that they had elevated above everything in life, even you. And it's painful to think about. You realize that and it's painful. It may be painful for the rest of your life. That's the power of an appetite. Now, when we think about appetites, like my cruise story, initially our mind always kind of goes to the topic of food. But did you know that food isn't the only appetite? I mean, there's so many appetites in life. Here's just a short list of some of the biggest appetites. There's food, there's sex, there's power and responsibility, there's love and acceptance, there's fame and, and recognition, there's things, material things and possessions, newer, better, shinier. I mean, food and sex are obviously the big two that come to mind. But did you know there's an appetite for power? Those of us who, who've ever held a job, we, we understand this, this desire to want more responsibility and more power and advance our career. You know, love and acceptance is another big appetite. Did, did you know that we're all drawn to environments where we feel acceptance? that we're pulled to environments where we feel loved and we're repelled by environments where we experience rejection. God made you that way, but that's an appetite. There's an appetite for fame and recognition. Many, many people, if, we, if they could push a magic button, would wish to become famous or, or at the very least recognized for what they've done and for what they've accomplished and how well they've done it. For those of you with kids, I mean, we see this on a daily basis. Uh, a few years ago, um, Julie and I bought a trampoline. And for the first several weeks we had the trampoline, it was like nonstop. It was like, Mom, Dad, Mom, Dad, hey, hey, Mom, hey, Dad, check this out. Look at this. Watch this. Look at this. And my kids would try to outdo each other. My youngest daughter, Cassie, she did a somersault on the trampoline. She was like, look at this. And then my eldest daughter, Liberty, she did a cartwheel. And she's like, no, 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 check this out. Look what I can do. And then Lexi, my second daughter, who's like the athlete in the family, she, she dropped a backflip on the trampoline. And she was like, look at me, mom, dad, look at this, look at this. My son Jace, who was like two at the time, he couldn't compete with his older sisters. So he just ripped off his diaper and ran through the yard naked. And he's like, look at me, look what I can do. But from childhood, we have an appetite for recognition. There's even an appetite for stuff, bigger, newer, shinier. I gotta have the latest thing. All of these things are appetites. And the good news and the bad news is that they're never, ever going away in your life. You can't pray them away. You can't will them away. They're just part of life, and they're not going away. We all have appetites. Now, there are three things that we need to know that we need to understand when it comes to appetites in life. And the first one is this, number one, that God created them, but sin distorted them. That God created appetites, but sin distorted them. God created appetites. God created the appetite for food. In the book of Genesis, God says, I'm going to give you all the plants, all the fruits of the trees to eat. God created sex. In Genesis, again, God says, it's not good for the man to be alone. So he created this masterpiece of woman, and he puts Adam and Eve together in this perfect garden, and he says, be fruitful and multiply. All of these appetites we just listed are all appetites in life that God created. The problem is that sin has distorted our God-given appetites. 
Every appetite you have has been broken. It's been distorted by sin. Appetites aren't bad. They're broken. Number two, our appetites are never fully and finally satisfied. Appetites are never fully and finally satisfied. Can you guys say that with me one time? I I really don't want you guys to, to miss this point today. On the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. Our appetites are never fully and finally satisfied. That's right. Because I think if you can grasp this one idea, it will serve you very well in life. Now, now we all know this. I mean, we just talked about putting away more food than an elephant and feeling like we're going to explode, and then a few hours later, being hungry again. We've all felt so thirsty, and we drank this big glass of ice water or, or lemonade, and it quenched our thirst for a time, for a time. But soon enough, guess what? We were thirsty again. Why? Because your appetites are never fully and finally satisfied. In other words, you'll never have the meal that ends all desire for a meal. You'll never have the dessert that makes you never want another dessert. You'll never have a kiss that ends all kisses. And and let me say, if you're married, your spouse will never fully and finally satisfy you. No person will. But if you continue to love and pursue them the way that that Jesus loves and pursues his church, God will use that relationship to help sanctify you, to help you make you more and more in the image of Jesus Christ. But appetites are never fully and finally satisfied. In fact, you, you might not know this, but the more you feed an appetite, guess what happens? Can anyone guess? It gets bigger. It grows. That's right. The more you feed an appetite, the more it grows. Did you know the more that you weigh, the hungrier you are? I'm hungrier than most people in the room this morning, okay? I got to work on that. Because when you feed an appetite, it grows. So here's the deal. Whatever area we're talking about, whether it's your desire for stuff or sex or alcohol or acceptance or power or food, you pick the area. The point is, every time you choose to feed that appetite, it is never fully and finally satisfied, and it comes back wanting more. And the lie that you're going to be tempted to believe for the rest of your life is that there's somebody or there's something out there in the world that can fully and finally satisfy you and will make you complete. But you need to understand that's a lie. Appetites are never fully and finally satisfied in this life. There's not enough turkey, touches, or touchdowns to fully and finally satisfy an appetite. You'll never go, ah, I'm done now forever. Now, thought number three. Number three, if you're taking notes, your appetites always say now, not later. Your appetites always say right now, not later. How many of you were born after 1994? Can I see a show of hands? Okay, a few of you guys. You guys make me feel old. Those, all the students just raised their hands right now, our high school, college students, middle school students. Um, those of you who were born after 1994 might not know this phrase. The rest of us know it. Here's the phrase. Dial up internet. <laughs> Dial up internet, okay? Um, raise your hand if you actually remember dial up internet in the 90s. A lot of you guys, a lot of you have traumatic memories of dial up internet in the 90s. Remember, you'd log on to your computer and then you would pray to God that nobody called your house because it would kick you off. Do you guys remember that? And when it started, it made the most horrible noise in the entire world. Remember something like that? 
Students here think the pastor's on drugs, but I promise you, teens, that's what computers sounded like when your parents used to roll, okay? And God forbid, God forbid, if you tried to send somebody an email that was larger than a paragraph or with an attachment, right? Lord help you. You could go outside, plant a garden, four months later, harvest that garden, and the attachment would be 30% downloaded. But today, everything in life is instantaneous, just like that, everything in life. The internet on my iPhone 13 is 10,000 times faster than my computer in the 90s. Today, we're used to having what we want and having it now. Do you know there are people who got mad at Amazon Prime two-day delivery, so Amazon had to create same-day delivery? Isn't that crazy? Like, I can think of something I want, put it into my computer or onto my phone, and have it delivered later that day. We live in an I want it now kind of culture. And the problem with this is that too often we take that attitude into our relationships with other people. See, what happens, for example, is that two people are having problems in their marriage, but they want an instantaneous fix, especially men, because we like to be fixers. But oftentimes it takes time and it takes effort to repair a, ma a marriage that's been damaged over a long period of time. But because we want things right now, not later, there are people who think, you know what, it's gonna take so much time and so much effort, and I just, I just don't have anything left to give. But there's this woman at work, there's this guy over here at work, and I could start over just like that with them. And everything that was wrong over here is not going to be a problem over here because it's going to be gone. It's going to be a clean slate. And it's instantaneous gratification rather than staying and fighting for a relationship. And that's what appetites tell us. See, if you're going to fight in your marriage, your eyes are always going to be looking elsewhere for something better. But if you're willing to fight for your marriage, you'll say, if it took 20 years to get this bad, I'm ready to work the next 20 years to get it to someplace great. Appetites always say trade the long term for the immediate. That's why some of you singles, God is telling you that maybe right now is not a season in your life where you should be dating or that you shouldn't be dating that person that you're chasing after. And you're like, but God, I want it now. God, I deserve this. Appetites say trade your future for the here and now. That's what your appetites will whisper to you all the days of your life. And you can't pray it away. You can't study it away. You can't worship it away. This is just the way that appetites work. God gave them to us. Sin broke them. And if you don't rule them, they will certainly rule you. And here's the scary truth of all of this. How you respond to your appetites in this life will determine whether or not you fulfill God's purpose and plan for you in this life. Your response to your appetites determines whether you stay in the smaller story of you or whether you step into the greater story of God. Now, for the rest of our time today, I want to unpack a story from the Old Testament that really illustrates well what we've been talking about this morning. It's found in Genesis 25, again, if you want to follow along. And it's, it's a pretty familiar story, especially if you grew up in church. You've probably heard this story before, but you may have never heard it presented exactly like this. It's the story of two brothers, Jacob and Esau. But this story illustrates the principle of the appetite in a very, very powerful way. 
Now, these two brothers, Jacob and Esau, were twins, but they were very, very different from one another. Let's pick up in Genesis 25, 25, and here's what it says. It said, the first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. He was named Jacob. So Esau was really hairy, even at birth, and that's what his name meant in Hebrew. He was the hairy one. But if you think Esau had it rough in the name department, check out what his parents named his brother. And if you're here this morning and your name is, is Jacob, um, I'm sorry to tell you this. I'm sure your parents didn't name you this for this reason. But in, in Bible times, the name Jacob meant grabbed the heel because he literally grabbed his older brother Esau's heel on the way out. And another translation for the name Jacob was deceiver, deceiver. Like how jacked up is that? Just imagine you're, you're walking in the mall later today and you bump into an old friend from high school. And you see they've got a couple kids with them. And you're like, wow, that's so awesome. You've got kids. This is awesome. Tell me about your kids. What are their names? And they're like, oh, this is my eldest son, Deceiver. Here's my other son, Frodo. He's short and hairy. We have to shave his back a couple times a week. And this is our precious little baby girl. Oh, what's her name? Hoochie Mama, right? You'd be like, what? You'd be like, that's jacked up. Someone needs to, a hug in your family. I might want to call social services and see what's going on in this family. And, and parents, this is off topic. But sometimes the names and words we put on our children can come true. So we need to be very, very careful what we say and how we speak to our children. Just something to keep in mind. Verse 27, the boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was confident, was content to stay at home among, among the tents. Isaac, their father, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau. But Rebekah, their mother, loved who? Jacob. So Esau, you know, was daddy's boy. And Jacob was mama's boy. The Bible says that Esau loved the open country. He was a man's man. When he wasn't at Cabela's or at a gun range, he was fixing cars in his garage or hunting with a crossbow. In fact, I told you guys last, um, earlier in, in the message that I went to Israel several years ago. Um, shortly, when I went there, it was shortly after they had unearthed some ancient scrolls, and they actually had them on, on display at a, at a museum. And, and I saw a picture of Esau from one of the scrolls, and, and the guy swore to me it was authentic. Um, this is a picture of Esau that I saw. This was Esau, okay? I've taken a little artistic liberty there. But the Bible says Jacob was a quiet man. He was different than Esau. He, he stayed at home in the tent. Jacob didn't have a crossbow. He had a book. Jacob wore skinny jeans, okay? He liked to cook. He loved to read and to study. Probably looked like this. <laughs> I'm just reading the Bible here, people, okay? And so Jacob, he didn't camp out and kill things he enjoyed reading and watching cooking shows. Verse 29, once Jacob was, was cooking some stew and Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. So Jacob is watching Master Chef making some stew and Esau rolls in and he's not just hungry, but as we say where I grew up, he's hungry, okay? He's really hungry and he thinks, I need to eat something right now and that stew over there can solve all my problems in life. 
And let me just tell you, church, being that desperate is a dangerous, dangerous place to be. Verse 31, Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. First, sell me your birthright. Now, let, let me explain to you what a birthright was all about, because if we don't understand, well, it's so easy to just kind of gloss over that in the story. The birthright was something that was granted to the oldest son in the family. And with the birthright came three very, very important critical things. First, you got a double portion of the inheritance. That means you got twice as much as all your brothers and sisters, okay? And Jacob and Esau came from a very wealthy family, so that would have instantly made them the richest out of all of the siblings. Huge, huge benefit, okay? The second thing that came with the birthright is pretty cool. You got to be the judge of the family. When mom and dad passed away, if there was any disagreement, you were the Supreme Court, and you got to give the final decision to tell people what to do. So the birthright not only gave you wealth, it also gave you power. And then the third thing, in some strange mystical sense, which we don't really understand, the third thing the birthright gave you was some kind of a supernatural blessing from God through you and your family's lineage moving forward. In some way, God was going to bless you and your entire family throughout history down through the generations. So the birthright was an enormous, enormous thing and Jacob just asked Esau for it. Now, I never really understood this until I had kids. And again, I have five kids. Here, here's a picture of my kids. Liberty is the eldest, and these are her siblings. Now, raising these kids, I finally started to understand a little bit more of this whole Jacob and Esau thing. And if you have siblings, you're, you'll totally get this as well. In families, the eldest kid rarely, rarely, rarely needs anything from their younger siblings. In fact, the older one often wishes the younger siblings would disappear, okay? Because the younger ones always want something. They wanna wear the older one's clothes. They wanna hang out with the older one's friends. They wanna play with the older one's stuff. They just wanna be like the older one. And every once in a blue moon, it's so, so rare, but every once in a while, the older brother or sister will actually need something from the younger brother or sister. Maybe they need them to cover for them or do a chore. Every once in a while, the older one needs something from the younger one. Now, this is so rare that when it happens, a younger sibling, if they're very strategic, if they're very intelligent, they will pause and they will just savor this moment, okay? They will just bask in it for a little bit. They need me. And they will try not to squander that opportunity. They realize this is a big moment to negotiate. So what they often do is they ask for the most valuable thing they can possibly think of that the older sibling has. Okay, I'll do that for you if we trade rooms. No, not going to happen. Fine, let me borrow your car. Nope, not going to happen. Can I wear your favorite outfit? That might be doable. Deal, okay? And so they negotiate. They realize this is a rare moment, so they start with a really big ask, and then they work their way down and they negotiate to get the best deal they can. So Jacob does this. He immediately goes for the most valuable thing. I'll trade you this bowl of stew for your birthright. Verse 32. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? Now, this is where the story gets really strange because we have to ask ourselves this question. Who in their right mind would trade a birthright for a bowl of stew? Who would trade future wealth 
and power and a supernatural blessing from God for something so temporary as a meal? And the answer to that question is, you might. You might. The answer to that question is, some of you are right now in your life. The answer to that question is, as a pastor for over 20 years, I've seen people do this all the time. All the time. As you said earlier, some of your parents did this. You look back and you realize they traded a real relationship with you for a bottle or a mistress. And, you re and, and, and your relationship with them will never be, it'll never be what it could have been because they traded years of time with you for something worthless. Who would trade their birthright for a bowl of stew? People do it all the time, all the time. But I don't want you to do it. Because again, you have no idea what God might do in this world through you if you go all in with him. You have no idea how it could impact eternity if you learn to rule your appetites instead of allowing your appetites to rule you. The story goes on in verse 33. But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Now, this is the part in the story where I wish I could hit the pause button. Um, if, if any of you, have any of you here seen the, the Disney Marvel series called What If? Any of you seen that? A few of you guys? Okay. So basically the premise of it is it goes through all the famous Marvel superhero stories and origins and things like that. And it's like, what if something different happened? Instead of Captain America being the one to become Captain America, someone else did. Or instead of this person becoming Black Panther, someone else did. And it kind of just poses this what if moment in an alternate universe and a change of history. And I kind of I feel like this is a what if moment in scripture. Like, how cool would it be to jump into a DeLorean and go back in time and I would appear before Esau right before he finalizes his deal, and I would be like, Esau, wait, 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 wait. I know you don't know me, and it's kind of weird. I'm from the future. Hi, I'm AJ, by the way. Uh, Esau, stew smells great. Jacob, good job cooking that. But Esau, if you pass on that stew, you're going to have 12 sons. And in a few generations, your family tree will turn into a nation of people. And then it's going to be kind of rough, Esau. They're going to get enslaved in Egypt for 400 years, but they're going to grow even larger. And they're going to become God's chosen people. And then one day, God will raise up a guy named Moses. He's going to be your great, 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 great grandson. And God is going to reveal himself to Moses. And Esau, listen to this, the audible voice of God is going to speak to your, your descendant, Moses, and here's what he's going to say. This is going to be God's voice saying, Moses, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. God's going to introduce himself with your name unless, unless you trade your birthright for a bowl of stew. And Esau, that's not all. 2,000 years from now, through your lineage, God is going to send his one and only son into the world. And this ancestor from your family line will save not just your nation, but will save the entire world. Everyone on the entire planet Earth will have the opportunity for eternal life and victory over sin and a personal relationship with the God of the universe through his son Jesus who will be your 
descendant. And one of Jesus' followers later in the New Testament will record these words, which will still be there 4,000 years from now in my time. And it's going to say this in the Bible. It's going to say, Abraham begat Isaac, who begat Esau. And from Esau came the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, Esau, I know you're hungry. I mean, you're hungry. But do you want to trade all of that for a bowl of stew? Because if you do, God is going to introduce himself to Moses as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, I don't have the ability to do that. I can't stop Esau in his tracks and make him pause and think. But my prayer all week long has been that some of you might have a light bulb go off in your life. And that you might stop. And you might pause. And you might think, because again, you have no idea how God wants to use your life to impact this world for him. And if you'd surrender your appetites, and if you'd go all in with God, you have no idea what hangs in the balance if you refuse to trade your future for a bowl of stew. Story goes on, verse 34, last verse we'll look at today before we end. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank, and then he got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. So the stew was gone, and the birthright was too. And a destiny was changed because of an appetite that would only return in a few short hours when Esau would get hungry again. And all through life until the very end, you're going to be tempted to trade away eternal things for a bowl of stew. And so my prayer for all of you is that in those moments that you would just pause and you would remember Jacob and Esau and you would think, in light of my future, in light of my kids' future, in light of my grandkids' future, is it really worth trading this? Is it really worth trading my marriage? Is it really worth trading my relationship with my kids for this. So as we close, let me ask you this, this kind of question to ponder. What's your bowl of stew right now? What's your bowl of stew right now? Is it a habit? Is it a person? Is it an addiction? What are you trading your future for right now? Because again, you have no idea how God might want to use you to impact eternity if you would be willing to surrender your appetites to him and to go all in. Can we pray together, church, with heads bowed and eyes closed? And Heavenly Father, I know that this is a message that can land in a lot of different ways with a lot of different people in the room. We've got, we've got middle school students in here and we've got seniors in here and we've got everything in between. But Father, I pray, as always, that you would give us wisdom to know what to do with what we've just heard in this incredible story from your word of Jacob and Esau. But God, as I said earlier today, that it wouldn't just be us hearing a message and then walking out of here and forgetting all about it and going back to business as usual. But God, I pray that we would be a people who would take your truth 
and began to practically apply it into our lives so that we could change, so that we could become more and more like your son, Jesus. That the next time we're struggling with the decision that says, I want this right now, instant gratification, as opposed to thinking about the future, that we would pause, that we would breathe, that we would remember the story of Jacob and Esau, and we would say, I'm about to trade my birthright for a bowl of stew. And that if we need to, we would make a course correction. We'd say, no, I'm not willing to give up the greater things and the greater plans, God, that you have for me for instant gratification. God, you're more important. God, I wanna be sold out. I wanna be all in with you. I wanna rule over my appetites instead of having them rule over me. So if you're here this morning or joining us online and, and that's your prayer, God, I wanna rule over my appetites. I don't wanna have them rule over me. God, I need to make some changes in my life. I wanna go all in with you. If that's your prayer this morning, would you just lift up a hand right now just as a, an act of faith between you and God? Say, Lord, that's me, that's my prayer. Would you hear me today? Praise God, praise God. Many people this morning. I really hope that's a prayer for all of you here today who call yourselves followers of Christ. God, I pray that you would honor the decisions made here in this sanctuary and the decisions made for people who are watching us right now. God, that we would, we would be a people who would rule our appetites instead of allowing them to rule us. That we would be a people who would be willing to go all in with you because we have no idea what you could do through us and through our lives if we're willing to be up to that challenge. God, honor those who are bold enough to say, yeah, that's me. That's my prayer. God, help me to be able to do that. There's some things in my life I need to change. There's an addiction I need to break. There's a habit I need to turn away from. I need to repent, confess and repent and move into a different direction, God, and make you first. Help me to do that. Give me the strength. Help me to talk to the people I need to to bring some support around me, to do whatever it takes, God, to make you first. God, I pray that you, would, that you would honor those decisions today. Thank you for the work that you're doing in the lives of your people. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. As we, uh, as we continue to end this service today, let's stand together and just celebrate what God is doing as we continue to sing.
things new and for each and every one of us that that involves transformation that involves change that involves the next steps that each of us can take as we grow continuously in that walk with Jesus Christ throughout this life and that's my prayer for all of you guys I want to give you a quick uh, wrap-up announcement and then bless you before we leave today um, but want to remind you guys again 
um, online. You can give to the World Evangelism Fund through Faith Promise. You can collect crisis care kit information in the back lobby, that flyer, if you want to pack some crisis care kits. And we hope to see you back next week, because next week we're going to be starting a brand new series as we move into the season of Lent, which really is about reflection. It's also about surrendering to God and realizing what's most important. And so we're going to talk about one of these monsters of the heart that often keep us from fully going all in with God and the importance of forgiveness. And so I invite you to join us next week as we start a brand new series called Soul Detox. Let me pray for you guys right now. Heavenly Father, I pray blessings upon these, your people this day. Father God, again, we thank you for the story of Jacob and Esau and how it has survived for thousands of years for us to be able to look at today and how your word is so powerful and so beautiful that 4,000 years later, it still applies to our lives in such a powerful, powerful way. You are an amazing God. I pray that we're able to, to again, have the wisdom to know what to do with what we've heard and talked about today, but then also give us the courage to take action, to make a change in life, to do something about it so we can move from the smaller story of us to the greater story and the greater future, the plans that you have for us beyond our imagination. We love you. We give you all the glory, honor, and praise today in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Have an awesome week. One more quick announcement from me. Next Sunday, directly after the service, don't forget, if you are interested in creative arts, sound, worship, anything, 11, 11, we'll be out of here by 11.30. If you're kicking tires and like to know about that, join me right up here in the front next Sunday, right after the service. God bless. Have a great week.